Hello everybody and welcome back. Happy New Year, even though it's like the 29th millionth day of January already, but still this episode <laughs> got back. So yes, this is What's the Story Podcast, only test three oh three. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. Hi Danny. Right. Are you doing well, Graham? You're well in yourself, my friend. I am, can't complain. Very good. Very, very good. I'm all right, you? Freezing. I'm absolutely bitterly cold. Oh, stop, man. We're in, stop. we're in the midst of a cold snap, as they would say. Yeah, yeah. And as we're recording tonight, I think it's going to be the coldest night of the snap. Mm. And you're in kind of the Midlands, so mm. I think it's going to be minus six where you are. Where we are in Dublin, I think it's going to be minus one or two. But mm. yeah, it's a cold one. Yeah, it'll be it'll be hot water bottles and long johns for me. I can tell you that much. Will you wear long johns? Uh, I don't actually own a pair, but if I did, I absolutely would. Because it, <laughs> it is freezing, man. Freezing. Um, freezing. But, yeah, and uh, look, it's been a couple of weeks since we did this. Our last one's Christmas special. Thanks to everyone who listened and got in touch with us. And uh, many thanks to Gary and Paul, as always. And um, yeah, can't wait to hear this content with the launches. But uh, we're back. And we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're <laughs> this is content. Uh, yeah, we're back and we're looking forward to 2024 being being a, a bumper year for What's the Story podcast with lots lots to come. So lots to come. We'll be might be talking. something really, uh, and might be really something surprising coming down the road. But sure, we'll oh, talk about okay. that again. Don't say too much, friend. Don't say too much. I won't be saying too much at all. Um, yeah. Anyway, look, let's dive right in because we've a brilliant guest to kick off the year for us, making our hat trick appearance, no less. The wonderful Brianna Parkins. Brianna, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a minute since we last chatted to you, so good to, good to reconnect, as they say. Yeah, I don't know. How long has it been? Was it a year, six months? I don't know. Time is blurring year, into one. It? It's, it's, it's more than a year. I had a quick look today. It's about a year and a half, actually. Yeah. Wow. A piss boy. July or August 22, thereabouts. So. I'm still living in 2020. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's my, what I, my internal clock stopped. And that's where I think we all still are. Yeah, definitely. It's weird. Yeah, because I'm 2022 now, actually. <laughs> yeah, but I think the, the, the kicker for me, right, is like me mates who have kids. And in my head, the kids are all still like, you know, small. And then they're like, no, mate, she's making a confirmation this year. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, the 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 world of freelance journalism and being a, a columnist with a national paper and all that kind of crack around every week, the Irish Times is banging out articles from you, which are keeping us all entertained. And most recently, giving us financial advice. Well, not most recently, one of the more recent. You know, giving financial advice and everything now, which goes back to when we originally talked to you because you were telling us, you were explaining about, was it with cans and with jellies or something? Fucking oh, yeah, yeah. Things. Uh, it was like uh, roommate's cans of Guinness. Her puppet, her sweet puppet, yes. and Thuddy, I get them mixed up, and just some random jellies I found in the house. And uh, yeah, I got Sony recently put me in what well, they were trying to license that co- that clip for the latest movie with Pete Davidson in it. No way. It's a Netflix series. So it's kind of weird. That was a while ago, but it keeps popping up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did do that. Um, but it's funny, I did have a background in financial journalism. I'm working on a finance desk and I people forget that I just think that I sort of materialized in Ireland one day. Um, but I was like, no, I actually did have a, a real, a real career. I was like, in my home country, I was a serious journalist. Um, <laughs> so people are always shocked to see me um, pop up on the business pages. So 
yeah, that was originally my background. So it's good to be getting back to that. And again, I think you know, people always are really surprised, like you giving personal finance advice and like, yeah, I was terrible at it. Like I'm the person to talk to about fixing it. But it's, and it is, it's true though, because like, as I was reading it, I was kind of like, where was this advice five years ago? Why was nobody telling yeah. But, so thank you me five years ago would have been like sending this to people on whatsapp groups being like this is you need you need to read this now like so yeah uh thank you for doing that and i think the like one of the most simple right what i fucking hate more than anything is having to ring a company and do any just any bill any any i just hate having to interact with them one of the most simple things that you had in that article was making sure that your direct debits are lined up to around payday so then you're not booking yourself over. If I'd had that advice years ago, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache, lads. Did you do that to me? No, I didn't, Grant. So I'm very lazy and I hate having to ring companies. Honestly, I'd rather just tear my own face off than have to ring. <laughs> a lot of the companies now have the instant chat. I know, I was using... I hate the instant chat. It's, it's pretty- like the instant chat. Well, I used it yesterday. I used it actually, coincidentally enough, financial advice at sure.ie and it popped up. I got talking to a bloke, Alan, and then soon enough, it went straight over to email. And it was like, didn't get what I wanted to hear, but it was like starting over in about 30 minutes. It was actually about a pension, Brianna, that I didn't know I had. And I got a letter. Consolidate your pensions. Consolidate them. You're on the right path. Yes, well, that's what he was saying. But I was like, "Let me cash this out now." This, I didn't know uh, I had this. I this, already have a pension. This opening oh, seven yeah. minutes is the most middle-aged we have ever been. Consolidate <laughs> your pension. No, because I had this big argument. I, I think it's not middle-aged, and I'll tell you why. So in Australia, that's not in Australia. Um, Superannuation. <laughs> superannuation right which you know from from working there so on top of our wage right you get usually i think it's up to about 10 percent now but i was getting 14 percent when i was working for the abc god bless the government so on top of my wage 14 percent extra that came from my employer went into my superannuation and i've had a superannuation account since i first started work at 14 nine months because that's when you can legally start work so i've, I've had a pension since 14 nine months which is you know, half my working life, more than half my working life now. And that has saved me. So all my piddling little jobs from bar work, anything I was doing middling in, sorry, minimum wage, that rolled into like 20 or 30 grand by the time that I was in my 20s, <laughs> just from, you know, accruing interest, accruing, you know, the returns on the investments made. So when you're in Australia, it's not a middle-aged thing to care about your pension. You're, you've got to care about that from an early age because you often open one at 15, 16. Do you know what I mean? We all tend to work really young, usually at McDonald's. So for us, it's it's a no-brainer. So when I talk to people from Ireland in their 30s, maybe even 40s, going, yeah, I've never bothered with a pension, it genuinely scares me, freaks me out. Yeah, it, it Mental, is. isn't it? it but that, see, that's a, good, that's a good thing, though, with the Australian government doing that uh, 14 uh, and nine months. I mean, the Irish government don't do that. They're trying to bring it in. So they're, they're bringing, I have debates about this. So like we've today, we've looked at all the systems like, you know, Canada and Australia and UK has like a contribution system where an employer has to kick in a certain amount. Um, but Ireland is the last of the OECD countries to have a, that doesn't have an auto enrollment scheme to encourage people to self-fund for retirement. 
because we're getting to sort of a position now where we're having an aging population and not enough taxpayers to pay for pensions, essentially, um, as we're all getting older. So all the other governments in the world have gone, fuck, we need to do something about this. Ireland is a little bit slow on that chase. Um, and the argument I had was like, oh, we're going to make the best of all the systems. We looked at the order of enrollment and basically if you don't have a pension and you're earning over 20K, um, then you get older enrolled. But you can take yourself out of it, I think, after six months, which is not great. And you've got to chip in 1.5% of your own money, then your employer matches that, then the government kicks in a little bit extra on top. But if you're a low paid, low income worker already struggling with the cost of living, why would you give up that 1.5%? You know what I mean? The incentive isn't yeah. there. Ireland doesn't have a, a pension mindset. Um, it's going to be really hard to switch people into that. For me, I think the employers need to cover pensions. You know, we have a very low tax rate in Ireland. Companies benefit from that already. So I think they could, you know, chip in a little bit towards the retirement of workers, which shouldn't be funded entirely by the taxpayer, should be funded by the employers, at least partly. Yeah, yeah. it's one of them where it's, um, like you're dead right, I think the conversation on pensions over here, like, it is not something that I ever had until I was in a large corporate employer and they had a pension scheme. And like, my parents had one and I kind of was vaguely aware they had one, but there was never any like, in school, anywhere, I don't remember anyone ever sitting down and being really important to having a pension, lad. especially not at 14 years and nine months. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think it's even a chat about how important it is. It was just, this has existed since the 80s. And it was actually brought in because the people like, look, how could we ever afford that business? There's no way they're going to go for that kind of scheme. But hmm. it was brought in at a time that we're sort of facing now where there was huge inflation. I think it was like 20% in Australia at that time in the 80s. Um, and manufacturing was closing down in a lot of ways. The economy and sort of before the mining boom kicked in. So we weren't a totally rich, rich country yet. And businesses and the unions couldn't decide what they were going to do because unions are saying, look, we need to, you know, push up the wages because everything else is costing so much. Businesses are like, we can't match inflation. So it was a deal hammered out between the government businesses and unions to go, okay, we're going to put in superannuation. So instead of a pay rise, we're going to dump extra money into your pension. The government then gets gives employers tax breaks for doing that. That money in pension pots gets reinvested into the economy through investments. Everyone, the ball keeps rolling, everyone stays happy. And it has worked. It was a sort of this crazy scheme that people were like, oh, shit, I don't know how that's going to go. Worked brilliantly. Um, it could be some small adjustments. But, yeah, it, it can be done in, in situations where you're like, oh, God, I don't know where we're going to find more money. But, you know, we're in that situation now where cost of living is outstripping wages and, you know, unions are at loggerheads with business groups. I just think it it's it could be done in Ireland if it really had to be. If I can change pace a little bit, right? You mentioned the dreaded word that everybody's been hearing for the last two years and nobody really knows what the fuck they're talking about when they say it, at least not none of my friends anyway. Inflation. It's always geez, everything's yeah. going up in inflation, is it? Everything's going up in inflation, is it? Brianna, what the fuck is inflation, please? It's kind of tricky because uh, inflation is a little bit different to cost of living registers and how much things cost. So you can have inflation in terms of interest. So that's when, you know, the the ECB or like the central bank or whoever controls interest rates for us, like we're in a European, to abide by European sort of bank rules, to put it really casually. Um, so they go, yeah, we're going to try 
and use levers. There's break levers and there's go levers in economy. And generally, if things are starting to cost too much and go up, we they try to apply a break by making money more expensive to borrow to try and slow everything down. So they're like, well, if we make money more expensive to borrow, businesses can't grow as fast. They'll have to, you know, less, there'll be less money around. People have to drop their prices and then it all filters down slowly. Um, but then that's really painful for people caught in the middle whose salaries haven't caught up. Things are costing more. Now they're paying higher interest rates. It sort of affects consumers on a retail level. So when they raise, in, when they when inflation happens to interest rates, everyone's money gets more expensive to borrow essentially. But it's really good if you've got money in savings because it's meant to, your interest rates on savings is meant to go up. And, and this doesn't happen as much. So so the mm. tenor I found in me jeans is worth more than if I'd stuck those jeans on me a year ago. Yeah, you should have spent it a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing, the whole thing. And this is why... It's but, very confusing. But this, and this is why, and you know, just tap. Everything is just tap. And I don't think about it until I look at my bank statement yeah. and go, oh, I need to live on coconut noodles for a couple of weeks now and that's it. But this isn't is a- it so annoying that like inflation will go up, cost of living will go up, but the wages aren't going up? They can't so the keep- them not go up together at the same time? Traditionally, you would think. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, those wage adjustments don't happen. And also Ireland is a very different system in that, uh, again, just comparing from Australia, our trade unions are maybe a little bit more organised and there's much more infiltration. So your unions will generally hammer out a deal to factor in, um, which is what's happening now in the public service, to factor in inflation in your pay rises. So every year you get a 3% bump automatically. I don't see that happening so much in Ireland, especially in private um, industries or industries that aren't don't have unions arguing. So ideally your wage should keep pace with inflation and you should get a pay rise every year to at least match CPI, which is your consumer price index, which is just measures how much, you know, the cost of all your shit goes up. Um, if you're not getting at least CPI, then you're actually getting a pay reduction every year because that same money is buying less and less and less. So if you're working for the same money for five years, you're actually experiencing, you know, less money left over in your pocket than you did five years ago. And is it, has it got better uh, in Australia in 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 the in the context of that with Albanese in charge, is this the socialist left wing type leader? Yeah, I mean, like we have a two party system. So you have Labour or the Liberals, which is the Conservatives. That sounds very confusing. Um, but what they mean mm-hmm. is economically liberal. So they're like, we would like less. It's like it's like, the, it's like the Republicans in in the US. They're not the yeah. IRA. No, they don't. they don't really have they have mixed feelings about the Queen. Yeah, but the, the, the <laughs> Actually, I don't know if Trump be down for monarchy. What do you? I don't know. I mean, I if he, he was the himself. one being, uh, like, if he was the guy who got to sit in the fancy chair and wear the fancy hat, he probably yeah. would be in favor of a monarchy. But other than that, maybe not. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Albanese is Albo, as he's known, because we can't. <laughs> Car- of course, he's abbreviated. <laughs> You're like literally Albo. Like you would hear him called that on television. By news reporters, like we just we're, we're such an unserious race of people, and I forget how informal. Like I think people we often have this talk between Australians and Ireland about how we're spoken to sometimes, and I generally think we come off as really thick 
to foreigners and I come off particularly thick in Australia because of how casual I am and then I'll meet like another Australian who has much more oppressive career than me I'm like oh no actually no we are just informal it is it is not a big thing <laughs> we come off as big dicks to other people um yeah no it's been interesting to watch him uh respond to the housing crisis uh so Australia has long we kind of, especially Sydney, goes through ups and downs in terms of rentals. Um, so when I was there in 2018, it was a really bad time. Then rent got cheaper even before COVID, and then it's coming up and down. So our supply is going up and down all the time. We're also seeing huge amounts of you know, re-migration happening after the borders opened. So everyone is heading over this year, not just us. Irish people, as we're hearing about in the news, we're also getting all of our international students back. Um, well, our universities are essentially funded by Asian students. So we need them to come in every year to help our degrees stay affordable. But that also means there's a lot of housing stress around the January, December period. So we're seeing that in Sydney where landlords can put your rent up indiscriminately. Once your lease is gone in Australia, there's not that much protection. It's like the landlord could increase it by like $2,000 if you wanted to a week. Um, there's nothing that protects you once your lease is gone. So I was now responded to that. They've made a new rule where the government will essentially, you only need a 5% deposit to buy a house now um, and the government will kick in the rest in equity. Um, there's all these other things that they're responding to and they're responding very quickly in a way that the Irish government haven't, which is interesting, but whether it will be the right response, I mean, we have to see in two or three years time and starting to see these things come in but it is really interesting that they have kind of been on it from the get-go like you can't buy a house if you're a foreign citizen or a foreign company you can't come in and, and buy up like what we're seeing here in Ireland with investor funds there's foreign ownership laws that put that in place now has it made housing more affordable don't know it's still unaffordable in a lot of ways but you're not seeing those big buy-ups of estates happen so they were kind of predicted that from the get-go but it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years but so far it's been pretty good it's been very weighted towards you know people who can't buy homes who should be able to buy homes it's it's interesting when i hear those things purely because like i've Mero, you've been to australia as you've talked about relentlessly on this podcast at every opportunity that's come <laughs> even when there isn't an opportunity you have talked about it, right <laughs> I've, I've never i've never been too far and there's too many things over there that want to kill me right that's the way i very <laughs> that's a lie that is a problem is, is it is it it's a myth. You know what i'm afraid of like you guys live with the hsc every day and I'm like, these people have they people have no fear. They have no fear. They just get up and they go about their business knowing that their health service is in that state. And then it's the snakes and the spiders they're worried about. Like you know what? It's not it's not even the slippery little snakes and it's not even the spooky little spiders, it's the fucking terrifying stonefish. And just you know what I mean? Oh, there's a nice stone. I'll put my foot on. Bam, it's gone. Good luck. Good night and God bless. I've never seen one. They only live in like quite distinct remote places. And that's that's, even, that's, that's so why it's even more terrifying. That's why it's even more terrifying because you haven't seen one, which means they're lying and they're just there camouflaged perfectly. Terrifying. Oh, you're back. Sorry, I lost that for a second. Um, yeah, they're, they're not that common. I've never seen one. So you just missed me ranting then about how obviously they're so good at camouflage and that's even more terrifying. <laughs> So, um, I never even heard of them. Yeah, they have lots of really interesting animals that could theoretically kill you, but you don't see that much of them. All right, maybe it's just, maybe I've just accepted that level of danger in my life the way you've maybe. accepted. No, but you're right. You better chance at HSE killing you than any of these 
spiders and snakes and, and stonefish, whatever they're called. Brianna, uh, your your columns I love in the Irish Times. Um, often wonder after reading them, how do you come up with the topic? No, I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's because I'm annoyed about something, which I think is some of my best columns. Uh, I eat me going off about the health service. And uh, and I don't care. I think maybe my whole purpose of being an island is to give out about the health service um, until we're ashamed to do something about it. And I guess yeah. I have a lot of entitlement. I do, as an Australian, I am very entitled because I know it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. And I find it so, I guess, unforgivably unfair that Irish people have to put up with this shite, to be honest, when you're paying higher taxes than 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 I than I did in Australia. You know, I just don't think, well, that's the way it has to be. And accepting and accepting that people will live in pain or live without respite care or live without the services they need. And that's okay. That's a that's a tolerable thing we accept. Like I, I can't. So I think a lot of my columns sometimes come from me being really cranky. Um like I know I wrote one on another level about um rainy day side side part sidewalk footpath hoggers people have big umbrellas as big like wanky corporate bastard umbrellas and will <laughs> mow you off the side and like dublin like i have to say <laughs> like the city tiny footpaths so you've got to move if you've got a big umbrella you've got to walk on the road do they fuck these people are the most <laughs> entitled it's the corporate umbrella people as big golf ones and i wrote a column about that so it, you know, whatever's annoyed me that week gets a column usually. To be honest, there, just me. It's, funny, it's funny about the uh, the HSE. I was whinging to Danny there uh, before Christmas, um, and to uh, a lot of my family. So when I um need a new wheelchair, for example, I will phone the occupational the occupational therapist department in Dunleary in my region, like in my area, and. When I call them, I have their opening hours. This is just disclaimer. This isn't the fault of the occupational therapist. This is the fault of purely the HSE upper management and whatever. But since I've been a teenager and I've been doing those things myself, ringing for a service, ringing for a new chair, ringing for whatever, um, the op the opening hours are nine a.m. to ten a.m. Classic, classic opening for hour. one hour. You have one hour. So recently, <laughs> so I'm laughing because in recognition because it's just like this is a sitcom. Sometimes the things happen in the health service, and again, I'm the same with you. The people, the the, the practitioners, and the staff are usually they're really good at what they do. I've always only had good experiences once I've gotten into a service, but it's the mismanagement around them. Yeah, oh, it's, it's pathetic. I needed a service there just after the budget. Now we're into the middle of January. It's our, just after after the half January, second part of January, and the service isn't still complete. Um, and I started our process maybe a week after, two weeks after the budget, and I found like often I'll be in a meeting and work, and it'll be ten to ten. I'm like, oh, feck, I'm supposed to ring, you know, I can't ring them now till tomorrow. Then you forget. Anyway, yeah. I rang them for a service, um, of my wheelchair, and um. That was grand. Spoke to a lovely occupational therapist, logged it all down. And at the end of the call, she said, Graham, just to give you a heads up, unfortunately, our hours have been cut. I said, how, I said, how do you mean? It's nine, it's five hours a week, nine to 10 a.m. 
And uh, she said, I know it's not our fault, but we got word that it's now 9 to 10 a.m. Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. I said, you're kidding me. I said, so if something happens to my chair on a, on a Monday evening after five, I have to wait till Wednesday morning to log that. And she, got, she said, unfortunately. She said, you can't contact your public health nurse, but the public health nurses, geez, they, they won't know what to do with a fucking wheelchair. You know, they won't need, they don't know what to do with a, it's a wheel breaking, but that's that's the HSE in a nutshell. It's 2024 and they're cutting hours from five hours a week on a telephone hotline to fucking three hours a week. Uh, like you couldn't. This is a sitcom. Like sometimes I wonder, like, is there cameras around? Is there fucking cameras? <laughs> because this can't be real. Um, there's actually a really good TV show about public service called Utopia in Australia. Oh, yeah. And it just I just always think about these things when they're happening. And I'm like, what public servant went, yeah, this is acceptable. Like, I'd be grand. <laughs> Don't worry about They'll that. They'll be like, fine. They'll be fine. People, the elderly don't need uh, walking frames, people with disabilities. They'll be fine. They don't need us. They don't, don't need go us for there. Like, he saw you fall out of your, your chair last week and was yeah. like, I think you can get back up. He's fine. We don't He's need fine. you. Yeah. The, the, uh, it'll be grand. Ireland attitude is just fucking piss boiling constantly. Just be grand. Grand. It's Willa. Willa. Fucking Willa. Willa. I feel like such a job's worth all the time because <laughs> my attitude is I, as someone who is a, a you know, perpetual pessimist and a warrior and neurotic is all anything, you know, I constantly assume that nothing will be fine. Everything bad is going to happen and we must prepare for this, which makes me really fun to be around. Um, but also <laughs> on the flip side, I'm always prepared for when it does go wrong. And uh, that's that's how I work. I think it's useful as a journalist because you're like, I need to get this investigation up. How do I get it up without being sued? So you tend to you know, make it as airtight as possible. But yeah, no, working under that, oh, it's fine. It won't be fine. It won't be no. fine. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, it fucking permeates every bit of Irish society, but when you start to hear it involved in anything that is related to medical stuff, that's where you kind of go, I'm going to need something a little bit more concrete than it'll be grand. Yeah. yeah. I mean... But you, you, it's that it's that it's the hundred percent with the kids operations with um spine mm. the in Temple Street mm. and they were using uh springs from hardware shops. That's that attitude must have applied there when they were like, Oh yeah, this will be fine. Ten surgeries later, it's still not fine. Yeah. I mean, come on, it's pathetic. It's embarrassing. A few Woody's vouchers lying around. Go down and get them springs there. It'll be grand. Yeah, get those springs there. Get me 20 springs there. Like they found, didn't they find invoices from a hardware store in the UK that, that uh, the, the practitioner was like, come on. Yeah. 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 The, the, the ditch uncovered it. Um, I've got some favorite stories about kind of what I call like classic Irish situations. And I think it was it the bridge on the Liffey that didn't open for 10 years because someone lost the remote. We lost the key or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like the, yeah, it didn't open for like years and years and years because someone lost the, the remote or the button. And it's the most Irish thing I've ever had. But I love the, it. The other one was... Uh, uh, which, wait, hold on. Which bridge was this? One of the... One, one of the ones that swings open. Yeah. The yeah. D-Slink? 
It wasn't East Link, but one of those kind of thought, yeah. Oh my god. Um, the, the, before, That's was, where the saying oh, only in Ireland is appropriate. Yeah, the other one was before your time, Brianna. But Mero, do you remember the time and the slime? Oh, I love that one. The Millennium Clock. Spent a fuckload of money on a big old clock, and within about three days, it was like nobody can see that thing. The Liffy's manky. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do with it? Just take it out. Just take it out. It's not worth it. That was like we put it in the Liffy two years before the Millennium Countdown, nineteen ninety eight or something. Yeah, let's put it in the Liffy. Oh my god, let's take it out. The spire, the spire as well, which I love. Right, the spire is to me a true monument of like Ireland, and it represents to the people like it got built. It was meant to be for the Millennium, didn't get built in time. It was late. The light at the top didn't work. All yeah. the locals started calling it like the stiletto in the ghetto and the stiffy by the liffy. No respect for it, which is kind of what I love about not just Ireland, but I particularly Dublin and is just the inability to take anything seriously, like just to rip the absolute piss out of everyone. So to me, like, you know, the spire has given us a lot. You know, it's given us something to talk about, to slag. It's it's a monument to Ireland. But I'll yeah, die I don't mind the spire. Love the spire. It's. I mean, it. It was the, the the Joe Duffy listeners who made me love it even more because like that when it was going up and the light issue was a classic, but the initial, like the when, when there was talks of, will it stay standing in high winter, and the old ones were loving that, <laughs> loving that. If it falls over, it could get gynies. It, it fucking could. It could. It could wipe gynies out. Who knows. <laughs> They were asking, could there be a watch, uh, watchtower? Didn't they? Could you? Could a spiral staircase? Yeah, could you not do it in viewing point. point? Yeah, yeah. Ireland loves a viewing point. Anything at all. Sometimes when you listen to Joe Duffy, though, you're actually like the very rare time that I stick that on, I do actually say to myself, and I fully know it's real life, but I still ask myself, is this real? Like uh, I have seen some. I have seen some journalists and some commentators uh, on social media commenting on it live and their suggestion, some of their suggestions are that they're plants calling in sometimes and someone that says a, a telltale sign of that is someone that says, hey, Joe, as I was saying to your researcher there, that apparently is a oh, telltale yeah. sign that that's a plant. But I do be listening going, are these actually real people? Why, why are we facilitating this? Brilliant. It is. I think and the national. Is there like Joe Duffy in Oz, Australia? Yeah, I mean, but it's more terrifying. So we have, I guess, we Australia and America are very good at culture wars, and I guess more of the UK, especially you know the Piers Morgans. Um, so our like talkback radio tends to be like immigrants are ruining the country, and um, one of our most famous we used to call them shock jocks, and one of our most famous shock jocks there was um you know criminally accused uh for inciting a race riot cronulla you know did you guys get news oh, yeah. of the cronulla riots that was a really dark day in australian history similar to what we're seeing now you know with with the lewis being burnt um he basically yeah he got was was criminally accused of inciting racial hatred and inciting a race riot so we had those ones so um i love you know, Joe, Joe for me is is nice. People giving out about normal people, and have you seen a? Do you know about Pono's Mary? Like, do you know what I mean? Keep him; it's national treasure. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> otherwise, he is the reason to keep funding RTE, yeah. and we should fund the RTE directly, right? Because yeah. if you didn't have Joe Duffy, 
and uh, some of your like mad uncles or mad neighbors instead of ringing up him about like public bathrooms or the food trolley not being on trains they'd be cornering you at christmas they'd be cornering you <laughs> when you raided the shops right they need to have an outlet and Joe Duffy is that man. So he is a national treasure. And if actually there's not many jobs that I would go, oh, I'd love to have that job. Joe, that job, Joe Duffy's current job yeah. is the only one that I would really ever want to take over in Ireland. That's like my, maybe my dream job. Is it's just really, I love giving up. I love people. Look, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said there. I don't disagree. <laughs> like I'm a big believer in RTE. Um, I, I I don't agree sometimes with the direction yeah. they take in certain aspects of news and stuff, but I still believe in it as such. In, in I public still, service broadcasting. In public service broadcasting, absolutely. Um, like the HSE, they're just mismanaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's something very wholesome about Joe Duffy in the sense of like, like so wholesome. If, if you like, if if Joe Duffy was talking about shock jocks, there would be people ringing in, worried that it's a pair of kinky knickers from Ann Summers. You know, <laughs> that's the kind of wholesomeness it has, and just you probably think that as well. But like, there's just these little misunderstandings and little tidbits where you're kind of like, as you said, Mar- like, is this real? Are these people fucking? It's just amazing, and I love it, and I fully agree. If we're funding RTE for any reason at all, is to keep Joe Duffy on the airwaves. Pay that man double his salary. Keep him at all costs. <laughs> Don't to mention salary. RTE. <laughs> Um, Brian, you mentioned there, uh, yeah, yeah, flip flops. I, I still actually um, don't know what a barter count is, I don't want to, but it's just that whole thing. That was a moment in time, wasn't it? Really and truly, he's, he's in he's in Virgin Media now. Um, yes, yeah. the the uh, you briefly touched there on culture wars, and we are unfortunately seeing it creeping into Ireland, Irish society. Um, there will be people saying, um, you know, there will be people saying, oh, there's no party in Ireland that they represent. But unfortunately, we're seeing, um, particularly with asylum seekers, refugees, we are seeing local councillors from the government parties and they're making a show of themselves. Um, as, a, as an observer and someone in the industry, how can we tackle this? How can we... I, I've said on this podcast loads of times in regards to the tension, particularly the Dublin riots, makes me quite anxious. Racism gives me anxiety at times um, because I find it completely irrational. Um, and then we see people giving out about a hotel that the proprietor closed down, the government bought off the proprietor, and they're giving out about not having a hotel in their facility which to me doesn't really make sense in terms of I haven't been to their local hotel in about four years. Do you know what I mean? Now, I know different towns in, in, in rural Ireland, it's different and it could be their weekly whatever. But at the end of the day, that proprietor got rid of that hotel. Mm. Um, and we're seeing this all over. We're seeing since 2018, we're seeing about 12 properties being put on fire with rumours that they're earmarked for for um, asylum seekers, international protection applicants. Uh, refugees, where does where where is this going? Where is this is it going to stop? Is it going to just are we just getting started? Are we got is it a cycle that comes around the world every few years? Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the US. That can't help. I mean, I don't know if it's been cyclical for Ireland because you know 
Can I just say, like, on a, on a like a joking note, if not meant to joke about these things, but I love that you know Irish people they go to Australia, they do their time there, um, they come back and they're like, God, Australians are mad racist, aren't they? Um, so now, now who's yeah, now we're not the only racist ones, huh? Absolutely. Um, I was one of them, though. Hands up, I was one of them. <laughs> it's been satisfying. Like my boyfriend and I have a joke because I'm like, wow, guess who's guess we're not the only big racists in town anymore, are we? Um, but no, the thing is that uh, well, you know Australia is a is a country built on immigrants. You know there'll be people who argue with me. We are completely and from you know colonization to post World War Two migration to you know Celtic Tiger failure cycles. Immigration is a really cheap and easy way to grow your economy quickly. Um, the problem is, and you know, there's no arguments that immigration in Australia it's it's what's called like a net benefit like it is benefited every sector um in terms of of boosting money and helping us become a rich country but those benefits of immigration they're not spread equally so someone who owns a business or someone who owns um, you know service provider they're seeing more people you know they're getting a, a better educated workforce suddenly they're getting more people to choose from they're also able to you know more people to sell their products to so they're making money in their ways but in certain communities that are already struggling to get housing and to get healthcare, they're not having to what they perceive to be sharing their already limited resources. Because when immigrants come to to countries, they go like my parents, my mom, they move to cheaper areas like Western Sydney, where I'm from, which then becomes which are usually working class communities. So they're at the coal face really of multiculturalism. So they're having to, they're not seeing the full benefit that say the business owner in the rich suburb is seeing. So they get quite angry about it. And they're like, well, hang on, they're ruining our country. This is what's happening to us. So I've seen this cycle play out in my own community. Um, and where I'm from, 60% of us are born overseas. And even more of us have one parent born overseas. Like we're all something. So I grew up in that space and it does get better. And, you know, I remember the race riots when I was 10 or 11 years old. Those are people who are obviously maybe one or two generations older than me. But in my generation, we all grew up so integrated that you couldn't really be racist because those were your school friends. Those are the people who managed the shop. That was your doctor. That was your hairdresser. So I think as time goes on and we see more integration and more multiculturalism come to Ireland, I think it will calm and settle and, you know, we'll really we'll reap the benefits from letting more people in. Um, I mean, God, look at our, you know, under 21 soccer team. Like the, one of the reasons it's so strong is because finally we're seeing, you know, those kids come through from all kinds of nationalities who've settled in Ireland and it's made us stronger, you know, on so many levels and it'll make us stronger economically as well. But I do think at that sort of, you will get the initial backlash. And I think it's been so irresponsible the way policy has been directed around not just Ukrainian asylum seekers, but also how we handle IP applicants. You know, it came couldn't have come at a worse time where Ireland is already overstretched resources and people are already feeling hard done by. And the most dangerous thing in the world is when people feel hard done by because that's when they start to lash out and they start to blame the wrong people for it. So I do worry, like you said, about those local councillors because we're seeing the major parties back off and go, oh, we don't want to really get involved. But, you know, Leo Varadka signaled in an interview with the Sunday Times last weekend that he predicts that immigration um, will become an election issue. And, you know, he's a political beast. Like, he is correct. You know, whatever you get people divided on an issue, those are the things that win or lose elections. So if immigration becomes one of those cleavages and you get 
you know, parties smelling blood in the air or blood in the water and they're like, oh, hang on, people will vote for us if we lean either way on it. That's when it becomes dangerous and when it becomes a political football and when you see it as a tactic to win elections, which I have seen in Australia, you know, we had a prime minister falsely claim uh, John Howard right before his election that asylum seekers threw their children overboard. Now, a later review proved there was no evidence in that, but he won that election. Yeah. Um, and people still feel really See, that, that's, that's the thing that boils my fucking yeah. piss, that someone, a representative like that, like Howard, can say things like that. And people, and, and I, I, truly mm. believe, I truly blame Trumpism on that, because the whole, like Donald Trump was able to sit on a on a on a podium and slag somebody with a disability with cerebral palsy, a journalist. And if that was like the late nineties, early two thousands, whatever, that person would have been sacked and held accountable. Well, this was the late this was the late two thousand six. So this sort of Trumpism that you're talking about, he this has been around for a long time in Jesus. really culture war countries. And so far, Ireland has resisted that and has sort of met, you know, out and right. So Ireland has sort of kind of met with the far, the far right and their ideals was like, ah, would you be well? Do you know what I mean? Like, you'd be like, ah, give over. We've been yeah. really sure about things, but I think now immigration might be the thing that might really break us um, in terms of that black and white polarised thinking because you are seeing communities already pushed, you know, overstretched. There are people who can't find housing and there's multi multiple generations living in a house. And then you had, unfortunately, the case, you know, of of Ashley Murphy's, un, you know, unfair, cruel death and uh, her partner's family and himself making statements and, and referencing that, you know, people had come to this country and they had lived in free housing. You know, it was just all been a complete powder keg kicking off yeah. um, some perfect circumstances to get us here. So it hasn't just been, you know, Irish people are resisting multiculturalism. It's just been a few flashpoint things and the conditions have been perfect. But those people who, you know, are about protesting also shouldn't be pushed into, well, they're racist and they're far right because you lose people and they don't come back. Whereas there might just be people who are concerned, who don't really understand what's going on, who've never had to, you know, live with asylum seekers in their community and suddenly they're appearing in the middle of the night. So they're feeling, you know, they've been tricked into something. I think there needs to be more communication and more involvement with these communities so they can support and actually integrate with these people properly. Yeah, yeah, and and the, I I agree with you on the on the latter point there, um, in terms of communications. But it's it's funny as well though because when general elections come up, our local elections and the T and Virgin Media and RT are down in the rural areas, the locals will talk about how the town there's nothing in the town, how everyone's left, how everyone's emigrated, and then as we said, immigration is is perfect for rejuvenating certain areas of town. So. I can't fathom the negativity of it because in terms of no services, I've never, I've never not had something because of an asylum seeker. Mm. I've never said, Oh fuck, I didn't get to go there because an asylum seeker got there first. You know, that's, that surely is a myth. Like, I mean, it is, it's kind of funny that the way also that Irish people don't conceptualize themselves as immigrants or economic migrants, yeah. um, which has been one of the criticisms. And, you know, we've seen 21,000 people um, yeah. have taken up the working, the working visa, the working holiday visa. And I'm like, if you don't think that that has pushed up house prices in the eastern suburbs of Sydney around Bondi, Coogee, Maroubra, if you so don't we- think that Irish immigration has pushed up 
housing for local residents, you know, I don't know what planet you're living on. Of course it does. Doesn't mean that we're going to hate Irish immigrants. Doesn't mean that we have a right to hate Irish immigrants. That's not them doing it to us. They're just trying to find a place to live like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, so I think they need to, we need to reapply that to ourselves and actually go, well, hang on, we're channeling our anger at the wrong thing. We need to be channeling it at government. When we voted in, in the election, it shouldn't be the party who is letting the least immigrants in, but the party who's going to take the most accountability and commit to fixing the services that we don't have. But unfortunately, it's much easier for them to take a hard line on immigration than it is to fix already broken services. So I think that's there's, the a, there's a weird disconnect in people's minds as well. Like you're hundred percent right. Like 21,000 people, all of us, all of us, and all those people protesting everything. They all know somebody, they all have a family member or a friend who has gone to Australia, who has gone to Canada, who has gone to the UK. They're white though. They're white. <laughs> Well, look, you know what I mean? But I do think there is this weird thing that happens where, like, it's that perfect storm you described, Brianna, but there's this weird thing in the middle of it where those people who are concerned get wrapped up with those people who, mm. it's not a concern, it's it's an anger, and it's an anger that's misplaced. And those two things combine, and that's where it gets very powerful because it comes very emotional. And anger as an emotion and fear as an emotion are two things that when they combine, they just fucking wreak havoc. So you're seeing these, I'm going to say troubled people, for want of a better term, online who are using social media to amplify their voice. And you're seeing some of them. And like there was, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but all last week, I just kept seeing this guy reappear on my timeline on on, a, on, on Twitter or X or whatever. Oh, and he's literally threatening elected representatives. And he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to break your face if you don't answer my questions. How was he not being lifted? Like, like, like this is, and he's putting these videos out and they're, I mean, they're being viewed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times. But somewhere someone's going to see that message and they're going to be like, he has a point. He has a point. We, we had... We had the public order unit do dawn raids on water protesters at 5, 6 a.m., like, you know, 5, 6 in the morning. And there, there's a tweet like that threatening somebody in our parliament and nothing done about it. How is he not arrested? I think it's. I think that comes to the whole thing when those Dublin rights kicked off and people were making the point that, you know, it feels a little bit like those far-right agitators have kind of been treated with kid gloves and go back to the joke we were talking about earlier where it'll be grand I'm I'm not trying to shit on the guards I, I feel sorry for a lot of the rank and file guard either out there but it does feel as though there's just being a kind of at arm's length with keep an eye but it'll be grand lads they're, they're a nothing kind of thing when well, it is that, and that's bright because when I was as you said there since 2018 12, 13 I think now it's up to 14 uh, buildings, uh, hotels, whatever, would earmarked for um, IP applicants and, and refugees and stuff. They've been destroyed and not one arrest has happened. I mean, that's bonkers to me. That is absolutely bonkers. I mean, I don't know if either of you saw um, the uh, Fintan O'Toole article over the weekend about um, the Irish immigrants in England and Wales mm. and you know you'd hear people pontificating over here racist pontificating saying you know they're going to be here and they're going to be raping our kids and they're going to be 
robbing and violent and stuff like that. There's no evidence of any upsurge of violence or cr criminality within the immigration uh, group in Ireland. Whereas when you look at the immigration, particularly men in England and Wales, the stats are there. Fintan O'Toole had it all in his article. It was a brilliant article. Yeah, we used to have um, stats by nationality and what crimes are committed and how many offenders were in the population. I think that stopped around 2018, I want to say. I know the state of Victoria collected those crime stats. And you'd look it up, and I was doing a story on um, how sort of, you know, the far-right media or just right-wing media were talking about um, how immigrants from certain African countries were forming gangs and becoming violent. And I looked at the stats of, like, who was committing violent offences. And it was like, and don't blame me, lads, because the Australians put this in. They they categorised England and Ireland together as one group, which uh, is not fair. They were right up there every time. And I was like, could you not be showing me up here, lads? And <laughs> but that thing around, un, like, you know, letting people in unvetted, like, when my parents, my mom and her family moved here, they weren't really vetted. Do you know what I mean? There was no... And, you know, we didn't give them free housing. My family were given free housing. They were given um, housing until they settled themselves and they found a job. And my granddad's actually flown. He already had a job when he landed. They paid for him to fly out to Australia mm. in the first place and settled them in and gave them housing and told them what schools to put their kids in. And there was a lot of support. So this whole thing of like, well, you know, the Irish only go to Australia and it's so hard for them to get a visa. I'm like, only in the last like 10, 20 years, you know, for a long time before that, I was like, come on over. Yeah. You know, um, there's this whole vetting thing. It's yeah, I think it's it's not in. It's a nonsense it's, argument. It's, it's bizarre. The reality. Um, but when you hear when you hear public, when you hear like a TD like uh, Maddie McGrath say it on a plinth, and he's like, he's using words like uh, it's a colonization. He said that yesterday or yeah, over the weekend in Ross Cray. Like, like he's a TD, and he's saying this is the colonization of our country, and unvetted men. Why, why is everyone afraid of men all of a sudden? I think there's a weird thing that happens there as well, though, isn't there? In that, like, fucking, it's just this, it becomes this little bubble, this little circle jerk where people just want confirmation bias and everything that they're hearing. And it's always scary and it's always terrifying. And you didn't get these mad idiots who are demanding that they get a say on who gets to move into the area or that even even matter idiots who are setting up roadblocks and demanding to see people's passports before they'd let them carry on in their journey. Like, I was, for all intents and purposes, I'm from Ballybrack. I moved to Portleash. To the people of Portleash, I'm foreign, right? I hate the GAA. I hate <laughs> to, to these people, I made it, like, I am not one of them. Nobody down here had any say in rather I could move into this house. Nobody down here got to request my passport or got to request any credentials at all. Do you know what I mean? And here I am, living amongst them in relative peace, other than GAA sees them and the roads are blocked up and I hate them. But, you know, it's grand, like. <laughs> people just need to chill. But people need to realise as well, when they're in when they're in a direct provision centre or a refugee centre, they're like, I've never been fingerprinted in my life. These people are fingerprinted. These people are, you know, I've never gone to a country and my fingerprints being taken. That's for criminals, you know, and we're fingerprinting these people. They're, they, they can't be illegal in a legal system where... Hmm. They're taking so much levels of information for these people. Do you know? It's yeah. just, it's, I, it's I'm, just, it's mental. I'm, I'm conscious of time, right? But just with the whole culture already. Jesus, much so. yeah, I know. Quick, time flies and having fun, Graham. But just, just the chatter. 
on the culture war thing, there is one that's being brewing that I think is going under the radar, and I think we need to address it once and for all, lads. Gilet versus body warmer. Honestly, <laughs> it's fucking, it's running a There's Lance from Ballybrack talking about Gilets, and I'm not having it. They're galettes, aren't they? I mean, they might as well be, yeah. But it's 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 a body warmer or a sleeve a sleeveless is acceptable. Sorry, but, what's the you're asking? Are these Gillettes or body warmers? I'm I'm saying I I want to. I know didn't know this was an issue. It's, it's it's a massive issue, and as somebody's a big fan of a body warmer game, you know what I mean. I've been I had somebody compliment me. Oh, Gile, man, it's like watch your fucking mouth, you. It's too oh. rugby dad for me. I wouldn't be caught wearing one. Yeah, that looks to me like you hate your wife. Like you look like a divorced dad. Wow, right. When I see them, I'm like, that's a divorced dad who like has a bitter ex-wife somewhere. Do you know what I mean? That man. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go on the record and say up. I very much love my wife, despite what my wardrobe might say. <laughs> go on the record and say yeah. that. You know what? No, it it was. It's 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 terrible. Awful rugby fans have given them a bad rap. Um, but I don't really get them. I'm like, are you cold or not? Like, do you want sleep? <laughs> I don't know. What's the point of them? Right, this is, like a this is this is a armless jacket. Like, yeah, yeah like, sometimes you just want your are butt you cold to be or warm. not? <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got to, I've got to have the flexibility in the arms, lads. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, you're right, you're dead right. Because nothing worse than like having when you've got coats on and your underarms are really tight, and it's like I have meltdowns in the supermarket over this. I, no, I, I do, I can see it, but to me, it just looks like it's a bit like a pony club, like it's a bit equestrian adjacent for me it's a bit weird i think the batuta advocate which is sort of our waterford whispers called them the especially the ones with the tech vest the tech branding right. they call it the, the wanker's waistcoat which is my favorite term i've heard for that right. i am going to have, to get, rid of, waistcoat. I'm going to have to get rid of all three of my body warmers now this is very <laughs> I, I, I brought this conversation to the table and hope of solving the gillette issue and now i find i am the issue this quite frankly is horrifying to me do you have any like, like I think do you have any ones do you have a do you have a piece of clothing that you when you see someone wear it that could be totally innocent, but there's something that lets you associate associate it with that. So for mine the Gilets, okay, divorce rugby dad. What is your equivalent of that? When you see someone wearing something that you're like, that's that's bad. I and people don't think I'm slagging friends to show Paul Howard, but and he has openly called it a wanker jacket as well. But you know those sheepskin jackets? Yeah, see one of them. I don't see them very much anymore. You don't see them anymore because I think, in fairness, people have started cutting on to the fact that you do indeed look like a wanker when you wear one. Um, and Paul brings it out once a year, doesn't he? He does once a year for special occasion, yeah. Uh, And it's far be it for me to comment on any any female appearance at all, but I I can't, I just fucking can't. Ugs, I just, I just can't, I just can't. I know you, they seem to be coming back. They were there for a while. They went away. And now they seem to be coming back. They never went away in Australia, right? And they're Ugg boots, or I've heard someone call them slag wellies, and that's never made me laugh as much. Slag, slag wellies. But Ugg boots for us, right? Ugg boots. So the, the, the brand Ugg can't be trademarked in Australia. Right. So when everyone's like, oh, they're not real Ugg boots. And like, no, because real Ugg boots are 15 bucks and you buy them off the side of a road from a man named Darren with three teeth in his head. That is a real Ugg boot, all right? So they originally sheep farmers were selling them on the side of the roads 
and you'd buy them and surfers wore them and then Pamela Anderson wore them in Baywatch. That's how they got really big. But for us, Ugg boots are like a tenner. They're 15 bucks maybe. They might go for like a $50, $50 pair if you really want to treat yourself. Usually you buy them for your mum on Mother's Day. That's cold for us. It's in May. So, yeah, usually wearing Ugg boots and you wear them around the house. We would wear them to the shops too because we have, we have no style or class in Australia. So you see them to the shops, but that's it. You don't see them out. You don't wear them to, like, big shopping centres. Tesco, fine. Into a shopping centre with the boots in it, no. That's that's too yeah. shade too far for us. That, and it's always lads like... Wearing, lads wearing Ugg boots and Birkenstocks kind of gives me the creeps. Ugh. Yeah, it oh, does. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Yeah. So for us, they're very, like, my culture has become a costume because all the statements of working-class Australian fashion, Ugg boots, um, the mullet, and short footy shorts, that's all what posh people in Dublin are wearing now. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. The, the, and Bogan's wearing it as Azzy. The mullet yeah. craze is absolutely sensational. It is just... It it's is... a mullet and moustache, isn't it? Yeah, the big dirty porn stash. Like... If you, I'm seeing lads rocking around with the D4 accents and they should be panel beaters. You know what I mean? I'm like, you look like, you know, what's going on? Yeah, it's, it's a, the non and the non, non, the non and the non. Yeah, that word. It feels wrong. Yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. My culture is not your costume, you know? It's, it's, it's more alarming, I think, when it's like, you know, a man in his 40s and that's where you see the the stash and the mullet combo and you're like, we're a bit old to be on this trend, pal. No, I, that's what I like. I was like, if he's got a few tattoos of his ex-girlfriend with the name crossed out, I'm like, legit. <laughs> I'll let you have that. When you see like a, a ponytail dad, I was like, he's got some stories. Or a rat's tail. <laughs> oh, oh a rat's tail. No, that's fucking yeah. rat's tail. I haven't seen a rat's tail in years. I They're love on them. the go again. They're on the go again. You love them. I have a weird really? affection for them. It's weird, again, because I am a bogan and this is where I grew up. So when I see them, I'm like, yes, like this is fantastic. Bring it back. Um, is there many but, in Western Sydney? Yeah, it is very Western Sydney. It's that's 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 peak Western Sydney. It's a little rat's tail hanging out in the back there. I've accidentally. So my partner uh, is a big culture from the back ass of Tume. Um, GA mad. He also works in tech, so he's got the the wanker waistcoats. He loves a bit of chinos. He's got like the you know the little fleecy quarter zips. Loves it. I have turned that man. He's now got a mullet. He's like got little tats everywhere. He had a big porn stash. He started wearing tiny little footy shorts and boots. He, I've like so rednecked him within a year or two. You've, four years you've being together now. Full bogan. Yeah, it took me four years, but we got there. He's he's trash now. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> he's <Nice>. trash. <laughs> That's mission accomplished. What it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> And, and on I that see note, you with a mullet, Danny. Man, I had a mullet when I was like 12 or 13. Bring it back. There was a little while there. And I went one further where I bleached just the mullet. So this part was dark and the rest of it was that yellowy piss colour that lads had when they tried to bleach their own hair. Oh, yeah. That was, was the Brian O'Driscoll era, wasn't it? I was fucking styling and profiling Rick Blair, yeah. I do, I do like um, mullets on women. Yes. I think they're quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're Steven. very rare, but I've seen them. Mustache is not a good show. Sorry, that's never joked about women's appearance. Um, right, Brianna, we have taken up 
far too much of your time this evening, but we do appreciate it. So thank you very, very much. Um, if people want to, besides your brilliant Irish Times column, people want to check out more of your work, how and where can they do so? Yeah, um, check out, just search Brianna Parkins Irish Times. You'll see my written stuff there. I also do a lot of radio bits during the week as well. So probably just head to my Twitter or my TikTok or... I don't know. Send me checks in the mail. God knows I need it to keep sliding. <laughs> Absolutely. From D4 yeah. with mullets. So, you know, keep my small business alive. <laughs> Deadly. It was, a ta- it was a tangent. <laughs> this is a, a tangent festival podcast that I loved. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about, man. I think the last time Brian was on, we we, we, we contemplated renaming it. Shy Talk. That's what it was, yeah. Shy Talk. Yeah, we've lived, up to it. we've lived up to it. Brianna, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Brianna. See you soon. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Rihanna is one of those guests that I wish we could chat to for about five hours. Yeah, because like that piss boy, and I didn't realize when you said, "Oh, you've taken too, we've taken a lot of your time." I was like, "That couldn't be it already." That was like, I love listening to podcasts when the, the people go on tangents, and yeah. before you know it, it's up. But th- and that's what I felt like. There It was a nice little. Tangent, nice, nice conversation with three lovely, two lovely people. I'm okay. No, nah, you're lovely too, Grant. Don't be so hard on yourself. What, what I, <laughs> what I love and admire about Brianna is her ability to literally talk about any subject. She, yeah, like, yeah. She is genuinely one of those people who has such versatility in her brain that she can switch from the nonsense we were talking about to explaining really complicated things that we didn't ask about. Yeah. She's just. She's booking, she's a trend. Do, do you know what, Dan? Do you remember years ago? We we it hasn't aired in years now, but I mean, remember we used to love the panel that was presented yes. by Dan O'Brien. Like, I could see Brianna on some sort of panel show like that because absolutely full of wit, full of intelligence, um, and always talk sense. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd see her in that Mairead Farrell role on the panel. Uh, yeah, un- underutilized in Irish media, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And now I've said that she is, she is. the column is with a national newspaper, and it's a brilliant column. And she does um, read her regularly on a natural national broadcaster as well. But still, she should have her own show on a national broadcast. Do you know what we talked on the telly? We talked about it with her. Oh, Joe Duffy, hang up the mic, give her a shot. Yeah, yeah, that's her role. But now I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, big thanks to Brianna as always, and do 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 check out her work. You don't regret it, Mero. A good yes. get in the bag for our first one back of the new year. Uh, yeah, year, year, of, year of the Dragon for our Chinese listeners. Happy Year of the Dragon come up to you guys. Uh, Lovely. It, I, I don't know what it's, it's probably Irish. The Irish one is probably Year of the Rooster Potato, I'd imagine. Something like <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it for this week. And we will be back probably not for about two or three weeks. That's why we do this now, plus I'm going on holiday. <laughs> We didn't think this are booking You're pissing off on holidays. If I can get someone for next Thursday, we'll be see we'll hear his next yeah, week. If we, if we can get something in next week, we will. But as as the old cartoons would say, tune in next week to find out. But Marilyn, yeah. where can people listen to other episodes? I don't want to go into the archive, Grant. Where can they go, go into the archive? You can go to wtspod.com um, or you can search on any podcast provider. I use Podcast Republic. Occasionally I'll use Spotify. But you can get us anywhere and everywhere you get your podcast. You just search WTS Pod. He's Danjo Murray on social media. I'm Merrigan Mania on social media. And uh, if if you want to hear us next week, tune in. 
Until next week. Lovely build a bus galore, Graham. There is. Full hearts. Can't lose. Lose weight. <laughs>